Excited that you guys are enjoying a probably one of your favorite books, Leviticus. And I'm just so glad you've been waiting all for almost 10 years for us to finally get to Leviticus. So you've been with us and now you're able to finally get to your favorite book. Hey, tonight we're in um, uh, two, uh, three chapters, 8, 9, and 10 here of Leviticus tonight. Just want to bring a highlight to a couple of things. Uh, one is Thursday nights, of course, men's Bible study continues at 6.30. We have Silver Saints this Friday at our at Kathleen and I's house for those who are 50 and older. And then men's breakfast is this Saturday. It's hard to believe it's the second Saturday of the month. But at uh, 10 o'clock here at the church, men's breakfast. Men, come join us. Bring a friend. Uh, if they don't, even if they don't come to church, they don't have another breakfast at their other church, or maybe someone doesn't go to church at all, men's breakfast is a great opportunity for the ability to bring someone to uh, to uh, to meet the guys. Also, ladies' brunch, uh, ladies' Bible studies on Tuesday nights uh, finish their uh, teaching on um, Daniel. So they go into a summer rotation where now June, July, and August there'll be a ladies' brunch each month, and you can grab the flyer, and the flyer will show you. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer in the info table so that. Uh, those, Kathleen and those who are planning, can make sure ladies you know how many to prepare for and set up. So make sure you sign up there. And the uh, first one will be June 19th. Again, it's 10 to 12 here at the church. Uh, invite a friend, an opportunity for a lady who's outside the church to be able to come and meet other ladies. So with that said, hey, let us open up a prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this evening, Lord. And as we open up your word this evening... Here in the book of Leviticus, we ask you, Lord, to just open up the word to us, illuminate the word to us, allow us to understand clearly not only what the text says, but also, Lord, make the linkage to the just the one story of you, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Messiah coming, the fulfillment of all these things that we're going to be learning about through offerings and sacrifices, and tonight the consecration and ordination of the priesthood uh, here in Leviticus that uh, you used during that period of time to, to train up, to minister, and to, uh, to lead the people, so your people. So Lord, open up your word for us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. In chapters 1 through 7, we looked at the rules of the sacrifices and offerings. Uh, We saw three voluntary and two compulsory required uh, uh, sacrifices and offerings. We saw that in chapters 1 through 7, and in chapters 8, we start the consecration for priesthood, the roles of the priesthood that was established by God by communicating effectively to Moses, who then communicated to Aaron and his sons, who were set apart by God to be the high priest and the priests who would take care of the tabernacle and all of those sacrifices and offerings that we went through. Now, I will continue to encourage you to read through Leviticus ahead of time because we do not have all the time to go through and read every single word in Leviticus. I'm going to highlight in each of those sections so you can understand and make the linkage to Jesus Christ, to the 
New Testament through this so that you can take notes and see how God fulfilled those scriptures uh, uh, from Leviticus into the New Testament. Now, as we start chapter 8 and we start the consecration, again, for the priesthood, and there was roles and responsibilities, and God's people had a priesthood under the old covenant. Under the new covenant, God's people are a holy priesthood. So in the old covenant, there was a priesthood set up by God for the people. Under the New Testament, under the New Covenant, God made his people the holy priesthood or royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9, fulfillment. God wants us set apart for his purposes and will, and he uses these principles to accomplish that goal. Every believer in Jesus Christ can say, when you read Revelation chapter 1, starting there in verse 5 and 6, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You as a believer can read that and make that statement. God's desire was that the entire nation of Israel be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We know that because we studied Exodus chapter 19 verse 6. But they failed but those priests failed him and became a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. We see that noted in Isaiah 1.4. The question is, why did the nation of Israel spiral morally and spiritually downward? One main reason. The leaders failed to be holy and obedient as God commanded them. They, they would not follow God's commandments. His word was clear, but they refused to be obedient and be holy and live a holy life. God had to finally send, <laughs> send a, a major test for his people called the Babylonians. And he sent the Babylonians and brought them into Captivity by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians was used by God to chasten his people, Israel. We see two verses in the scriptures that clearly communicate this. Lamentations, one of your other favorite books to read all the time. Chapter 4, verse 13. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who, shield, who shed in her midst the blood of the just. We also see in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30, verse 31, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed to in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? Again, two key verses to show how the rulers and the people turned away from the word of God. God wants his church today to be a holy nation, a people belonging to God. 
that they may be declare the praises of him who called him out of darkness into his wonderful light. One of our favorite passages we find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Jewish priests were a privileged people, yet they despised their privileges. They despised the privileges and they, and they helped lead the nation into sin themselves as a leader. We see that even after the Jews returned to their land from the Babylonian and established their worship again, the priests didn't give God their best. God had to rebuke them. We see that noted in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 through chapter 2 verse 17. Today, as we look at Leviticus 8 through 10, this part of the book will describe the eight-day consecration, ordination ceremony for the high priest Aaron and his sons. That's what we will see in verses 8 through 10. And as God's chosen priests, they had to accept these three solemn responsibilities. Submitting to God's way. That is the first. They must submit to God's way or authority in chapter 8. We will see that they need to be highlighting God's glory. Must highlight God's glory. We will see that in chapter 9. We also will see they must be accepting God's discipline. Because they will receive God's discipline if they don't do it God's way. We will see that played out in chapter 10. Now, submitting to God's way. We see in Leviticus 8 is that the same God who instructed Moses how to build the tabernacle also told him how to consecrate or ordain the priests. And how the priests should serve in the tabernacle. We study that in uh, Exodus chapters 28 and 29. Moses did not have to make it up as he goes and tries to learn. Okay, God, what did you want me to do here? And how do I do this thing? It was never like that. And God isn't like that even today. God doesn't sit there and say, you're a child of God. Go figure this out. I've done the hard part. I saved you. Now you've got to figure this out and flounder. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He gives clear instructions by His Word. It's you and I must be obedient or you will be disobedient. Partial obedience is what? Still disobedience. And so we will find that played out here in our, uh, our Scripture today. But Moses did not have to make this up. He doesn't have to lean on his own understanding how to figure this out. Moses was to do everything according to what God had shown him on the mountaintop. If you remember, we saw that in Exodus 25, 40, 26, chapter 27. Even noted in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. That when God took him up to the mountaintop, God gave him clear instructions about the tabernacle and clear instructions about the consecration and ordination of priesthood. In the ministry of the church today, spiritual leaders must constantly ask this critical question if you're going to be a leader in the church. For what does the scripture say? We see that in Romans 4, 3. 
That is the most simplest scripture you must understand to be a leader within the church. You have to constantly ask the question, for what does the scripture say? Because we only want to do and we only want to teach what the scripture, what? Says. We get that, right? It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But we must ask that because God has not left us in the dark trying to figure out our way around to what we, what his church is or is not to do and how it is to be led and what it's supposed to do for God. But we are to, if we substitute people's ideas or develop traditions or to do things that are close enough to God's word, it's good enough we will be in dark. There will be no light in them. We see that warning in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. Religious programs, fads, entertainment centers created by the church to entertain the people, to draw the people, because there's no other way to draw the people but through some entertainment methodologies or some fancy way because the Spirit of God doesn't draw the people there, then what you will have is that you will create celebrities. You will look for a pastor who is a celebrity. You will look for a pastor who has written a certain amount of books and draws a certain amount of people on the face in media, social media, to draw the people because they've made the calculations as a business, they can make a certain amount of money and increase the crowds. But that doesn't mean it honors the Lord, and it does not mean it's building his church. You're building an organization. If God does not build the church, it's just a money-making organization, and it will not please and honor God. Be warning of the scriptures that we see today. Leaders of the church, like Moses, spent time with God on the mountain. And found out from the word of God what God wants his people to do. And that is true for pastors today. They are in the word. We continue to seek the Lord. And we look for the directions of what God wants us to do. And what the purpose it is for that church body in the community they serve or around the world that we are to reach. We are to reach the lost and we are to encourage those in the faith. And that is what we do here at Calvary Chapel, North Country. In Leviticus chapter 8, the first five verses, we see that Aaron and his sons with him, Exodus 29, also records the command God gave to Moses to carry out this consecration or ordination ceremony with Aaron and his sons. And now that the tabernacle was built, it was time to perform this specific ceremony that God wanted to have happen. We see in Exodus 20, 29.1 states to the purpose of this ordination or this consecration is to hallow them for ministry to me as priests. They need to be set aside for the purpose of serving me and serving my people. That is what was supposed to happen. And there was a very specific ceremony and how they were to do it and carry out their roles and responsibility in the priesthood. The first thing you will know in those verses 1 through 5 is that they were to gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. 
This was important because God gave a very specific list of items needing in the consecration ceremony and commanded that all the congregation together witness this ceremony. Now, this, the people were there so many. How could they even remotely see the, what was going to take place with Aaron and his, his sons there at the tabernacle of meeting? More than likely, I believe it was the leaders and the key people of each of the tribes were representing the overall, all the people. They were representing all the people. It's almost what we would call today, how can all the people of the United States be there at one place, but they have representatives we call in Congress and in the Senates and senators and congressmen and congressmen to go and represent us, the people. It's that same kind of concept. But they were to be there to witness what God was about to do, and that was the ordination of Aaron and his sons with a public event as every ordination ought to be. There should be no secret ordination or consecration of a priesthood at that time. Or pastors even today, there should be no secret. It's the congregation who were there should see those ordinations. And that's exactly how we would do it, is we would bring them up front so the people can see who have been ordained for the purpose of ministry. We see that in Acts 13, Acts 16, and even 1 Timothy 4.14, how important that is. Now, first of all, the priests would serve God and seek to please Him. That was the main focus in ministry. You to seek God, to serve God, and to please Him in the ministry. We see that laid out in Exodus chapter 28. It's also they would be the servants of the people. You are to serve God, please God, and serve the people. That's what it means to be in a leadership role within the church. Remember, in the church and ministry, Jesus is the head of the church. Period. Jesus is the head of the church. Then God appoints a shepherd to look over those sheep and take direction by Jesus who is ahead of the church and what he wants to do in and through that body of believers like Moses. God spoke to Moses and said, here is what you I have for you. Now go forth and tell the people, teach the people. And he was to seek the Lord. And then be obedient to God's word in leading his people. And Moses did exactly that. Now this is what the Lord commanded to be done. What? What is it to be done? The fact that the Lord commanded it. We will see the word command. 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 This is not... If you make it sounds like it feels good, and if the people like it or not, and you do your polls or not, then you might want to think about implementing this. That is not what the scripture says. The scripture says, God said, I command you, Moses, and Moses said, Aaron to his sons, God commands us, you as a, the high priest and the priest, you must do this. It's not negotiable. And so the whole matter of consecration stuff was God's plan and not the plan of Moses. Why do, why do we as pastors do things? Because it better be in the word of God. 
And it better be linked in the purpose and please God in the fact. It's not here to please the congregation and take polls and see what you think and feel like if you like this or that and whatever. It's God leading and God directing, God doing. We want to please God in everything we say and do. It's a serious thing to set up, be set apart for ministry. And it must be done God's way under the authority of God and witnessed by God's people. That's how ordination or consecration is to play out. In verse 6, we see that Moses brought Aaron and his sons, and not after they gathered the people, then they were to be washed them with water. So people are they're there to see. And now the leaders, Aaron and his sons, humbly have to be stripped down and be washed from head to toe. Now that's humbling, isn't it? And we see that this is not a ceremony just for anyone in Israel to be able to do. There was a special consecration ceremonies available to anyone, such as the Nazarite vow we see in number six. But this ceremony was specifically only for priests, period. This is not like the other vows of the Nazarene. They were to wash them with water. It's a process of consecration begins with cleansing. All the priestly ministries began with cleansing. A cleansing was to be received and they were to be, be washed them, and Moses was to wash them. They could not wash themselves. They had to be washed for to be cleansed. And so Aaron and his sons did not wash themselves. They received a washing all over. And again, this was a public display. This was at the door of the tabernacle of meaning. And we cannot be cleansed from our sins without being humbled first. That is what that was all about. Now, some Jewish interpreters have maintained that the washing of Aaron and his sons was by full immersion and was required by, of the high priest of the Day of Atonement, we will see that in Leviticus 16.4. I lean to that direction as well. They had full immersion of complete cleansing of, from head to toe. Now this great cleansing was a one-time deal. Only once did they get fully emerged, I believe, or fully cleansed publicly in front of the, the full of nation of Israel. Then from then on, we see that they only needed to cleanse their hands and their feet after that one-time deal. When sinners trust Christ, they are forgiven. And then they are when washed from their sins once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. We see that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, noted in verses 9 through 11. God's children need to keep their feet clean by confessing their sins to the Lord. That is what happens after. You get saved. Then there's a declaration to all those who are witnessing when you get baptized in full immersion. After that, you don't have to be fully immersed when you get dirty or spotted up by the world or the things, the mistakes. Now you must keep your feet clean. 
You must keep your hands clean. Why and how? We see in John 13, verses 1 through 10, and my, one of my favorite verses, 1 John 1, 9, you must come and confess your sins to the Lord. That is how you stay clean when you get spotted or make the mistakes, possibly, of doing sinful things. You must stay confessing and recognize those are sins and confess those to the Lord. That is how you maintain that cleanliness. In the Bible, water was for washing, and it's a picture of the Word of God. Every Christian is washed by the work of God's Word. That's why you want to continue to be washed over and washed over and stay cleansed by the Word of God. We see that in Psalm 119.9. We see that in John 15.3. We also see that very important key verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. But what does Satan will always do when you find yourself slipping up and sinning? Satan swoops in to keep you away from the Word of God. Away from God's people who may share the Word of God with you. Keep you away from the church through guilt and shame and doubts and stuff. Because he does not want you to come back and be washed and remember that you have been forgiven and be able to confess. He wants to get you in a spiral downward where you will just stop reading the Word of God. And that is the worst thing you and I can do. And as we meditate on the Word of God and apply it to our lives by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we will see noted um, in uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 5 on Sundays, that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to cleanse us and make us more like Christ. That is why it helps us to keep moving forward. We see that promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This cleansing work was accomplished only by the death of Jesus for us. We see that noted in Revelation 1.5. And that is based on the, uh, uh, the appropriated by faith. We believe that by faith, and that's why it comes together. Now in Leviticus chapter 8, verses 7 through 9, the clothing... The whole clothing of the priests in priestly garments. He put the tunic on him and girded him. Now we see that after being cleansed, the priest had to be clothed. But not in his own clothes anymore. You're not to put the old clothes back on. He is to put on new garments that has been set aside and designed by God and for his purpose. And Moses put these new garments on Aaron. Like these ancient priests, every believer is clothed in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, Revelation 3.5. These are the clothes that have been given freely by Jesus, and but we must be received or worn by us by faith. But note, these garments were provided to them. You cannot do and come up with your own clothes to cover yourself through works 
It doesn't work. You must be clothed by the righteousness of God. These Aaron and the priests must be clothed by God's garments that were to be designed and made by Moses to put on them. And there was no expense in buying them. You could not buy these clothes. Not only can you not buy these clothes, but he had to put them on Aaron themselves. They had to put them on for him. They were, they did, they cost them nothing. They must do is just to receive these clothes, put on these clothes, and it would not be through laboring by weaving in themselves, they couldn't make them themselves, nor skill in doing anything or simply just putting them on. Now they were to gird themselves with, a, uh, they were to gird him and Aaron, his kid, the, the sons, with a sash, the ephod, the breastplate, the turban. And we see there with these articles that these were special articles of clothing were made for the high priest only, and these garments were to show the glory and for the beauty of the priesthood that we noted there when we studied Exodus 28.2. Now, one of the things that we'll take note is in you, when you look at the end there, verse 9, we see there was a golden plate that made up in front of the holy crown. And on that plate is said, holy to the Lord. And each believer... If every each believer priest, let's call us believer priests, have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and is acceptable in him. We see that noted in three areas of Isaiah 61, Ephesians 1, 6, and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. But put on the garments which Jesus has provided for you at his cost, freely bestowed upon you out of the... Ben, the um, the boundless love that he has for you and I. Our righteousness, our, our own righteousness that we try to come with, some religiosity or some religious ways, these things we think we can do in our own approach God, these are just, as we see in Isaiah 64, 6, they're just filthy rags in God's sight. So don't try to do it on your own and think you can come to God however you want to. The high priests were accepted before God because of the garments God, God provided by in his grace. Now, verses 10 through 12, we see that this is the first anointing of oil now. They've been clothed. Now the anointing oil used was done with a very special oil that we know in uh, Exodus 30, verses 22 through 33, describes this oil. It was designed, this specific oil, specifically only for them. No one else, the nation, no other one else could have that oil poured on them or touch their bodies. It was specifically made for this priest. And no one else could duplicate it. If not, there was consequences by God. So Moses took this anointing oil, we will see in verses 10 through 12, and the oil was sprinkled on all non-living things that you will notice. But to show that they were very special elements that were going to be used by the priests and they were to be sprinkled with that special oil that was to be set apart for the service of the Lord. 
But when it came to Aaron and his sons, the oil was poured, not sprinkled, but poured on them on the head and anointed him to consecrate him for or adorn him, uh, ordinate him for the priesthood. And it, the picture, as you know in the scripture, is a picture of the Holy Spirit and was poured over his heads, indicating that it was given in great measure upon him. Not some small little measure, but as Psalm 133, 2 says, things were sprinkled, but upon people the oil was to be poured out. Now in Leviticus 8, verses 13 through 30, we see that Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull. Now comes the sacrifice. The washing at the door of the tabernacle was one aspect of the symbolic cleansing from sin. But there was also to be the punishment of the guilt and the shame. And this was through the sin offering that we talked about in the first seven chapters. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull, which was the symbolic transfer of their sin onto the sacrifice, onto the altar that would be completely uh, consumed. Now, like these ancient priests, every believer can only be consecrated to God through a sacrifice. Our consecration should be greater because it was made through a far greater sacrifice, a permanent sacrifice, which was the sacrifice of God's own son. The sacrifice that the priest did is temporary, and they had to repeat it over and over and over for us Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, and once it's been, he sacrificed for us, by faith, we have been cleansed completely. We see in verses 18 through 21, as they were laying the, their hands on the head of the ram as the sin offering before it, we see that this burnt offering also symbolically received the sins of the priest and they laid their hands on the head of the animal and confessed their sins. We see that in verse 18. Verse 21, Moses burns the whole ram at the altar. This animal now gives its all to the atonement of our failure. We see that in the fact that uh, they had to lay there and be burnt offering completely uh, there for, those, for the priests. We see in chapter 8, verses 22 through 24, we see the sacrifice of the, and the blood there as the second ram, the ram of consecration. And Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of the ram. This atonement for sin was performed with the sin offering and the burnt offering. And we see, again, we laid those out in the first seven chapters and making sure they're following it themselves. It wasn't just for the people. It was for them as the high priest and the priests and he took some of its blood here in verse 23 and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear and it was the expression that expression of putting the blood there of the ram on the right ear is to the idea of consecration but the blood from the ram was placed there not only on the ear but the thumb and toe of the priest and it was the blood from that and that was not the wool it's not the fat it's not anything else but the blood the life why because we will see clearly it was an indication or symbolic indication that they must hear the word of God 
They must work. They must do what the word of God says. And on the toe, they must take that word of God everywhere they go. They must go and do and be about spreading the word of God. And we see that clear, uh, clearly laid out because they should hear differently than the rest of the world because the blood has, was on their ear. They should work differently as well because the blood was on their thumb and they should walk differently because the blood was on their toe. They must be different than the rest of the people. They cannot be look like and act and go, that is a priest and they act just like the rest of the world and they're to be separated and consecrated. They're ordained. How many people today as priests or as pastors, I should say, try to blend in and act just like the rest of the world so to be accepted? Not good. You're not supposed to be weird. You're not supposed to be so far off that you're holier than thou. But you should be clearly see you understanding and applying and living out the word of God in your life. And people should see that. In eight, chapter 8, verses 29 through 20, uh, 25 through 29, we see the wave offering to God. Where he took the fat and the fat trail and the second ram was used to consecrate ceremony. The ram was, was blood was applied again to, the, that, to that ear, the hand, the foot through this wave offering before God. And we see in verse 29 that they waved them as a wave offering before the Lord as part of that second. The best parts uh, was to put together like the, made up like a bread or a cake and a, a wafer. And it was part of that first wave of, of before God in the act of presentation. We see that, again, played out when we talked about this in the first seven chapters. Verse 30 of chapter 8, we see that the blood is sprinkled on the priestly garments there because the blood alone wasn't enough. God wanted blood mixed with oil and to have that mixture sprinkled on the priest. This was to be combined with both the sacrifice and the spirit, which is represented by the oil. I saw a t uh, one of the uh, uh, key thing from Spurgeon. Spurgeon in his teaching says in this one, this one section says, Yes, brethren, we need to know that double anointing, the blood of Jesus which cleanses and the oil of the Holy Spirit which perfumes us. It is well to see how these two blend in one. They must always go together. And we see that played out even in the Old Testament, now here in the New Testament for us today. This mixture of oil and blood stained the garments of Aaron and his sons, and it would be a long reminder of the ceremony of consecration to their lives. In chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, we see the fellowship meal that will then now follow. We see that the boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with bread. We see that played out. It's a remind, a remaining meat portions of this ram that they had sacrificed and given to Aaron and his sons as priests. And after these portions were presented to God as a wave offering, they were to now have a meal fellowship offering. Now, what's interesting as we take a look at this, we see that for seven days, 
Aaron and his sons had to remain in the tabernacle. They could not leave the premises of the tabernacle in that court. And each and every day, Moses offered sacrifices like those he had offered on the ordination day. We see that lined out in Exodus 29, verses 35 through 30 and 36. And the priests then ate them and eat the ram ordination as well as the bread of the meal offering just as they would eat the fellowship offerings, and they see that played out. It was personal. Eating is a personal thing. It's an inward thing. It is an active thing. It's a, it's, it, it, it stimulates the senses is that it needs and produces a sense of satisfaction. That is what that fellowship meal was all about. In chapter 8, verses 33 through 36, we see those seven days of consecration is coming to an end. And it says, you shall go, in verse 33, you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of the meeting for seven days. And that was the coming generations, the new descendants of Aaron would qualify for the priesthood, would be consecrated the exact same way over the years to come. For Aaron and the descendants of the consecration process took only seven days. And we see that they, as they lived there for seven days and did this day in and day out, we see that it's so important because it came at the end of seven days. It was complete. And now on the eighth day, they're now to be able to leave. But after the seven days of living in this tabernacle, they would either love the tabernacle the tabernacle of God and be in his presence and, and or they would hate it. It would be one or the other. And these seven days in the tabernacle indicated the completion of their dedication or ordination to the Lord, separating their life for God. They had, they, they had, they disobeyed and left the tabernacle in those seven days because they just couldn't stand being in the, in the presence in the, in the tabernacle. They would have died for leaving. It was a serious thing to be one of God's priests. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. It's the same heart that we see written here by the psalmist. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You just have to put that where we're at today. You come to the Lord. You're going to spend time in His presence. You're going to come to church. You're going to spend time in the Word. You're going to see if you're going to be separated. You have really given your life to the Lord because I believe you can't walk away from the, the Word of God once you're saved. I, you can't be away from the pe God's people. You have to earn, you're, you yearn for it. But what happens when you don't stay in fellowship? You don't stay in the Word of God. You don't person. There's a spiraling down of spiritual emptiness and you as a believer will suffer and you will suffer i've seen it over and over in so many people's lives we call it the prodigal son we call it backslidden we call it all kinds of things but what has happened is they walked away from the word of god serving god doing the things of god being around god's people and when that heart changes and notice i said if the heart changes 
you start a spiraling down. You might physically keep showing up, but that doesn't mean your heart is right. You've left, you've left the things of God long time ago. You're just now people are starting to see it in your life. We continue here in chapter 9. Chapter 9, we see it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. So the whole ceremony of consecration, ordination, lasted more than that week. Now it's on the eighth day, and it was not a quick and easy process for these priesthood to be. A call to the priesthood came on the eighth day, the day of new beginnings. That's the eighth day. After seven days, day seven is a day of completion. We see that the, pa- the, the, the patience of fellowship with the Lord in his tabernacle is now coming to fruition here. God was ready to do a new work in and through these priests who have been consecrated or ordained. Aaron and his sons would be offering burnt offerings on the altar every morning and every evening, each and every day, beginning and ending with total consecration to the Lord. Being imperfect as they are, the priests had to offer sacrifices for themselves first before they started receiving the sacrifices from the people um, that we see that, and we see that even highlighted in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 28. And then we see that in verse 2, that he, he said to Aaron, Take for yourselves a young bull as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish, and offer them to the, to the Lord. So, as part of the consecration ceremony, Aaron and his sons lived for an entire week in the tabernacle of meeting. Yet they still had sin to atone for during that week. So even during the week, while they're in the tabernacle, they were still sinning. So they still had to come out on the eighth day and sacrifice for all the sins that they they did during that period of week. And you would think, oh, you go to church. You never sit in church. Of course you can say, well, I want to just stay in church and I'll always be, you know, sinless somehow. It doesn't work that way. You know as well as I do. But here they had to sacrifice for all the sins that they accumulated. They still had to cover that sin. The consecration ceremony did not make Aaron and his sons perfect just because they got ordained. Just because you ordain someone, there's a consecration to someone to do the ministry, doesn't make them perfect. You know that. Just watch my life and watch any one of our lives who have been ordained. They're not perfect. Aaron and his sons were not perfect as well. A man, a ram had to be brought forth for a burnt offering. Chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, we see Aaron begins the priestly ministry here. And we say that this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, Aaron. And the glory of the Lord will appear to you. You must do this, Aaron. If not, God will not appear to you. So everything Aaron did in the last week prepared him for this moment as the, the ultimate thing that was going to happen. This is, was the end goal of the week of being separated and consecrated to the Lord, the display of God's glory in front of Aaron. 
Now Moses spoke to the people and told them that the glory of the Lord would appear when the ordination was completed. How do we know that? We see that noted in Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 38. And once that ordination was completed with Aaron and his sons, just as his glory had appeared when the tabernacle was erected and completed to the exact specs that God said, Now, after the ordination and doing what God said for you to do, Moses and Aaron, he shows up. I love that. Because if we God shows you to do something for him, when you do and you're obedient, God shows up and reveals himself to you. How wonderful it is. It's one of the main purposes of the tabernacle ministry was to glorify the God of Israel whose glory dwelt on the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies. Verse 7, we see we begin to minister. Now he starts ministering to the people. We see in verse 7, offer your sin offerings and your burnt offerings and make atonement for yourselves and for the people. Make atonement, verse at the end of verse 7, make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. He was to now serve and now start taking sacrifices for the blood to cover the sins of the people to help them be able to be atoned for that period of time to be with the Lord. In chapter 9, verse 8 through 14, we see Aaron offers sacrifices for his own sin, again, along with a burnt offering. We see in verses 15 through 29 or 21, um, Aaron offers the sacrifice on behalf of the people. We get to now in verses 22 through 24, we see God's blessing on Israel when with, the, with his display of his glory. We see that so important there at the very end as when Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and bless them there verse 22 that Aaron's heart was turned towards the people he longed to bless them he longed in his new role and responsibility as the ordained priest for the people he couldn't wait to now God to use him as a vessel to bless the people that were listening and watching and he along to bless them he lift his hand toward the people and bless them his washing Aaron's sanctification Aaron's justification Aaron's consecration waited with just waiting for the Lord to use him in the life of the people and he was able to humbly bring him to a position where he could then bless the people what a beautiful picture that it is. And God was doing all of that. We see there, then a little further down there, that we see in verse 24, we see that then the glory of the Lord appeared to the people and fire came out from before the Lord. Those are important words right there. Because God proved his presence by what? By sending the fire. How did they know that God's presence? By the fire. The priests were there, the offering was there, the tabernacle was there, the nation of Israel was represented there, but it was all incomplete without the fire or the presence of God. Now where else have we seen that? Fire or God's presence showing up. 
You Bible students know exactly where they are. I will give to you those items for you to go back and research. There are seven examples. One is Abel, Genesis 4.4. I'll take it slow so I don't get ahead of you. Aaron, here, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. Gideon, in Judges 6.21. Manoah, in Judges 13, verses 19 through 23. We see God's presence as fire in David, in 1 Chronicles Verse uh, chapter 21, verse 28. Can you think of the last two? Solomon, 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 1. And the last one I will note as an example is which one? Elijah. We see that in 1 Kings, chapter 18, verse 38. Fire was often very clear in the scripture associated with God's presence and work. Deuteronomy 4, 24 tells us that the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. John the Baptist promised Jesus would come with a baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see that promise in Matthew 3, 11. The Holy Spirit himself manifested his presence on the day of Pentecost by the tongues of fire in Acts 2.3. We see that Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. We see that noted in Luke chapter 12 verse 49. Now, This consecration ceremony has a spiritual application. A spiritual application to you and I as a believer. Our priesthood is real and after the pattern of priesthood of Jesus. Who never went through this kind of ceremony. The priesthood of Jesus was based on what? Do you know? Noted in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. It was based on an oath. For they have become priests without an oath, but he, capital H, with an oath by him, God the Father, who said to him, Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So we are also made priests, not by a ceremony, but by the oath, the promise of God, just like Jesus. Now this reminds us that every blessing that we have comes because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And then unless you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior and Lord, we don't have any spiritual blessing of our own. Not only that, 
We cannot ask God to bless others through us. You have no, you're in no position as a non-believer to ask God Almighty to bless someone else. You must be a child of God to ask God for a blessing upon someone else. We see that clearly. That's one of the blessings noted here as we see it here at the, toward the end of chapter 9 of Leviticus uh, through two blessings or two, um, uh, the first blessing, and but also the second blessing that Aaron does with Moses at the end of those verses of 24 is that the second blessing conducted by Aaron and Moses reminds us that we must be in fellowship with God. And one another is not, it's not negotiable. In those days, you had to be in fellowship with God and you must be in fellowship with one another if we're to be a blessing to others. Now we see in chapter 10, yes, we're going to go through chapter 10, but relatively quickly here. A day which should have ended with a glorious worship of Jehovah God because of the consecration, the ordination, there should have been a party. But what happened? It didn't end well. Instead, it ended not with a party. It ended with a funeral of Aaron's two oldest sons. We see that in chapter 10, verse 1, then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had, which he had not, God had not commanded them. You're sitting there going, what? You just got ordained. You just saw your father ordain and become the high priest and you turn around and do something this stupid? This crazy? You just was taught everything you were to do and not to do. Why would you do this? But this is what happened. Here you are in this afterglow moment. The Spirit of God is moving. The afterglow of this consecration experience that they just went through themselves and now being ordained. And these two sons of Aaron sought out their own relationship with God. And apart from the revelation that was given by God to Moses, then to his father, and they sat there and decided, we want what my father has. We want more. We want to do what the high priest does. That's our father. We get to do whatever our father does. Now, we don't know what their emotional, emotional state was, but it was crazy. That's all I can tell you. Perhaps it was pride, which I believe it was. Perhaps it was ambition. I believe it was. Perhaps it was jealousy. I believe it was. Perhaps it was impatience as a young man. Young men, I believe it was. All of those motivated these two young men to step outside of the will and clear direction of God's word and they took it upon themselves 
and did things they should have never done. And here they are, had a legacy of this great spiritual experience of the movement of God clearly in their midst. They saw it firsthand. All the miracles God did in bringing the nation out of Egypt, they saw it all. The voice of God and saw the fire, the lightning, the smoke and that fell and thundered and fell down on the top of the mountain and the earthquake and all the rest of the nation on Mount Sinai. They, they're there. They saw it. They witnessed it all. They went up with Moses and their father Aaron and the 70 elders for a special meeting with God on Mount Sinai. They saw the God of Israel. We see in Exodus 24 verses 9 through 11, they saw God and they ate and drank. Unbelievable spiritual experience right there themselves. They saw it with their own eyes. Those goosebumps, they were there. But what did they do? It made it very clear. This shows that even a legacy of great spiritual experiences that you've gone through being saved or just gone through You've got the experiences, but there was no regeneration. Even if you were regenerated, you were saved, and you had great spiritual experience, can't keep us right with God. Experiences. I need to go find another church because I want to. I want those new experiences. Oh, I'm going to go over here. Why don't the church do something different? Because I want this new experience. Why don't they change the music? Why don't they change? Why doesn't he do something different with the teaching? Why doesn't he do some props and other things? And why isn't there flags going all over in the middle of worship? Why isn't people running up and down the aisles and high fiving people to get the experience of a, an afterglow experience? That doesn't. Keep you right with God. The only way you and I can keep right with God is only by abiding in the relationship that is grounded in the truths of God's word. That is it, my brothers and sisters. Only God's word is going to keep you grounded and walking rightly with God. God had clearly commanded them what to do. And he also commanded him them not, not, what not to do. And they came in with unauthorized way. They came in their own way. They're coming to God, but demanding to come their own way will always cause pain and suffering. God considered this fire that they were bringing before the Lord as profane. This was a misuse of special incense. The incense was regarded as the holy for the Lord. It was set apart and only the high priest, their father, was to do that. And they did it themselves. They weren't high priests, but they took the liberty to go do it anyway. 
It was supposed to come off the altar of the coals from the fire. They created their own fire with this incense. They didn't have the ability to go get it off the altar because the father was there. Moses was there. They would not have allowed them to do it. So they took it upon themselves to have a different fire, a different incense. But it was all profane, according to God. It was not kiltered kindled from the altar or a burnt offering. It was fired, not associated with the atoning and redeeming work of, of sacrifice. But we also shouldn't forget that Satan himself can deceive with fire. You can be deceived and think it's God that's telling you this is the Holy Spirit moving. This is of God. Let's do it. And you could be deceived by Satan. We know that he can camouflage himself as fire. In the great tribulation, the Antichrist and his sidekick will be able to make fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. We see that in Revelation 13, 13. And they will use this fire to, discer- to, to deceive the undiscerning. Now we also see, even worse of all here in the scripture, that they did this before the Lord. That probably means they not only took incense they shouldn't be touching, fire that didn't come from the altar, and they paraded themselves right, more than likely, past the veil and went right into the most holy place in the presence of the Lord. So what happened? Verse 2, so the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. The same fire that swallowed up or showed up with God's glory now showed up his judgment for these unfaithful priests. Remember, in the scripture, fire is a figure of searching, judgment, purification. Our works for Jesus will be judged by fire. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 through 15. Jesus is described as having eyes like a flame of fire, Revelation 1.14. And his eyes are searching Judgment and discernment, or dis, uh, yeah, discernment of what is of the right heart and of what is not of the right heart. Many of those who cry out to God, send your fire among us. Lord, send your fire among us. We want your... All they can think of is God's presence. But it's the same fire that you are calling now for being his presence is also the same fire that we're going to purify and cleanse what is not right. We see in verse 3 of chapter 10, Moses, God's warning to Moses and Aaron. With the privileges I have ordained you to do as a priest... The privileges of ministry comes with responsibilities and sacrifices as an ordained priest. We will see that Aaron wasn't permitted to mourn the death of his two older sons that God took out. 
He could not mourn for their deaths. He had to continue in the tabernacle complex and sit there in that complex and complete the ceremony of ordination. And the two of his nephews came and took those two bodies out and buried them. Uh, We see that in Exodus chapter 6, 21 and 22. But think about this. Dad, Aaron, was standing there watching his two sons get torched by God because they did what they did. And then he couldn't mourn them. God said, you have to hold your peace at the very end there, verse 3. So Aaron held his peace because God said, you have to hold your peace. God would not allow him to mourn and cry out and lament at this point in time. But there's consequences when many of our loved ones think they can come or not come to God and do it however they want to do in approaching or not approaching God. God demands to be regarded as holy. But all those who come near to him, we must come with the right heart. Make no mistake, we can come to God just as we are. Yes, that's what the scripture tells us. But we may not come to him our own way. We can only come to him by Jesus Christ. We must come the way he has provided. And the way he has provided is the way made by Jesus Christ, his son. There is no other way. And he had to do this before all the people. God says, I must be glorified. This reminds us that God must be glorified in the meetings of his people. When his people come and gather in his name, he is to be glorified and nobody else. Nothing else. Nothing and nobody is to get between the people and God Almighty. The focus must not be on man. It must not be on his cleverness, his his speaking skills, his looks, his insights, his ingenuity. Nothing should be brought any kind of approach or any kind of glory. It must fall to God's glory in him alone or it will not be rewarded. It will not be blessed. Then we see the aftermath of God's judgment of these two guys. In verses 4 and 5, the bodies are removed. Again, Moses would send, not send a consecrated priest, but two nephews, two people, relatives to come get him. Verses 6 and 7, the mourning is prohibited. Again, as, as I mentioned, that perhaps was the hardest day of Aaron's life as a dad did not be able to mourn his two sons. And see them clearly die in front of him and then bodies being taken away. He couldn't leave the tabernacle. He had to finish and do what God's called him to do. Verses 8 through 11, then God spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You know your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meaning lest you die. Well... That commandment to the priests of Israel came right after the judgment of these two guys. This causes me to think they were drinking. They had been drinking and showed up wanting to, to praise God. 
They showed up and they're not in their right mind. Serving God. Go do this for me. I've been drinking. There's no big deal. I'll go do this for you, God. Woo! If you're ordained, be very, very careful what you do. We see in the study of the qualifications of, a, of an elder. Me as a pastor here, I, I, for ordination of anyone to be an elder or deacon, especially an elder, you see the, see the consequences if you're out there doing things for God and you're drunk or have alcohol, you've been intoxicating, drinking wine, intoxicating drink. Why would I put you at risk? If you, you don't have self-control, why would I put you at risk? Why would I ordain, ordain you? I wouldn't. God did not want the hearts and the minds of his servants clouded with alcohol when they come to serve him. Since alcohol is a depressant, it takes away the ability to completely give oneself to God. That's why drinking is really not helpful in the ministry. Verses 12 through 15 we see that the priest's portions or proportions defined here, we see in verse 12, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire of the Lord and eat it with, without leaven, leaven in, be, beside the altar. So we see that, that along with the breast of the, in verse 14, the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the, the heave of offering, uh, you shall eat in a clean place. We see it very clear how you're supposed to continue through and do it properly according to God and God's way alone. And that is, again, how to divvy out through the grain offerings and, and the sacrifice. And then finally, verses 16 through 20, we see confusion in the priesthood. When you see things that go against what God says, there will be confusion within the body. And we see confusion in the priesthood. Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering. He goes on and on there. But we see that Moses wanted to know why Eliezer and uh, Ithamar didn't eat the portions of the sacrifice that were given for the priest to eat. Since Aaron replied on their behalf, we see that it was acceptable at the very end, verse 20, that Moses heard the reason and was, uh, was content with the reasoning behind it, even though that they were supposed to do this. Because Aaron did not eat the sin offering because he was mourning the loss of his sons. Aaron was not allowed to do anything other than the signs of other signs of mourning because God didn't want Aaron to show the mourning and the grieving to the people of the congregation of Israel because that would show to the people that somehow God Almighty judged unrightly to Aaron's sons. And God says, you cannot go out there and mourn like you're grieving and, 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 and crying out to God. Like, how could you have done this, God, to my sons? How could you have taken my sons from me? Because that type of mourning would have caused a rippling effect that somehow God was unjust, unfair, unloving. And God said, that cannot happen. That's why God did not allow him to mourn any way he would want to. He had to do it God's way and continue on doing what God called him to do as the high priest and that the people would see that Aaron would look and say, God judged 
rightly, even though they may not even know all the reason that happened to those two, two boys. So Aaron had to tell Moses, yes, we did not do this because of this reason. And again, at the very end, Moses said, heard it, and he was content with the reasoning behind it. <clears throat> 